Well, welcome to this Sunday message, Sunday the 13th of November 2022. We start this message by reading from the Word, Jeremiah chapter 31, 13 and 14. Jeremiah 31, chapter 13 and 14. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, and the young men and old together. For I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them, and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We ask you to bless it to us today. We thank you that your desire is to bless us. Thank you that your word brings life. Help us, Lord, as we open our hearts to receive your word. Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher. We ask you to grant us a spirit of revelation that our minds might grasp spiritual truth, that our faith might be fed and might grow, and that we might be better people. Come against every force of darkness that is opposed to this word, reaching the hearts of all those within the sound of my voice. Give us ears to hear, O Lord, in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. The title of this message is taken from this passage of Scripture, Turning Our Mourning into Dancing. That was the promise that the Lord made to Israel, but there were conditions involved. And it's important to know and understand that God wants to turn your and my mourning, if that be the case, into dancing, our sadness into joy. And if we look at the life of Christ, we will see that his life amply demonstrated this very, very principle. One of the most outstanding scriptures, I believe, that speaks of this is found in the Gospel of Luke. Let's just turn to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to be reading from verse 13. This is the key scripture we're going to be looking at this morning. Luke chapter 7 from verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. 
Now, when we approach the Bible, it's very important to try and visualize the various scenes that are presented to us. Let's look very carefully at this scene. Here we have a procession coming out of a village, the village of Nain. And it's a very somber procession. Notice there's a crowd. Perhaps in a small town like that, a death is a large event, so to speak. And this crowd is headed up by obviously the coffin bearers, the beer bearers. And next to the coffin, behind it, just behind it, is the mother of the one who's dead. Now, we must understand something. This woman is in a terrible state. She's not just a quiet widow grieving for her son, shedding the odd tear. Not at all. She was a widow, which means that earlier on, obviously, her husband had passed away. Leaving her, we assume, as what we'd call a single parent with one little boy. As single parents do, or parents generally, she must have doted on this little one. Because, in a sense, he was all that she had. I can imagine her tending him, making sure he's properly fed, making sure his clothes were clean, making sure he learnt what he had to as a young man growing up. And then perhaps the day came when he left home one morning to go to work, some trade or other. Her pride and joy. Not only that, but her own real source of income, now and in the future. And then the terrible day comes when perhaps he falls ill, and I'm sure she did everything she could as a mother to try and get him revived, but to no avail. And eventually he dies. Please understand for her, this must have been a terrible, terrible blow. In a sense, the whole world suddenly comes to an end. So she's not walking by the coffin shedding a quiet tear. No, no, not at all. She's staggering around, screaming, weeping, crying out falling down, being held up by people, not knowing what to do with herself, so overcome with sorrow and shock. Well, the procession continues in a somber mode. Past note, the gates of the city. We assume that the burial site was outside the city. So we have this somber scene on the one hand, this crowd of unhappy people coming out of the city of Nain. Let's contrast that with Christ and his disciples and a crowd note with him coming towards the city. Obviously, the only way to get into the city was through the gate. So this was the convergence point. But if we read prior to this event, you'll see that Christ has just been up the mountain. He spent a night in prayer. 
He's chosen his disciples after a whole night of intercession with his father. He's taught the great Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. He's come down the mountain. There's been a mighty outbreak of revival. People have been healed. People have been set free. And so these people are gathering after him to hear these wonderful teachings and to see these mighty signs and wonders. They've just been to Capernaum, which was his home base, it seems. And there the centurion, his servant that was ill, is healed. Great miracle takes place there. And now they're moving to the nearby town, you see, to continue this wonderful crusade. You can imagine they're a happy band, full of laughter, probably even singing. Probably singing praises to God and rejoicing in what they've seen God do. Anyway, on the one hand, we have this somber procession coming out. On the other, we have this joyful band coming in. Now, the one is characterized by mourning. All right? And what we see is because of the actions of Christ, this mourning is turned into joy. Well, we read the story, and the first thing we note is the Lord is moved with compassion. In a split second, he sums up the scenario, and he sees this woman in distress, and his heart is moved. Please note, when you and I are mourning, God's heart is always moved. But I understand something more about this compassion that he feels. Remember the Lord said, I do nothing, but I see my father doing it. I speak nothing, but I hear my father saying it. And what I've come to understand is that when the Lord felt that compassion, that supernatural compassion, remember he loved everybody. He loved everybody. But this extra burst, if you can call it, of compassion was God telling him to do something. We have the very same thing when we look at the story of Lazarus. The Lord was moved with compassion. You see, anyway, the Lord Yeshua sees the scene and his father speaks to him to do something. You see, now, the next thing he does is he speaks to the woman. And he says to her, don't weep. Now, please. He wasn't just trying to be friendly and trying to comfort her, you see. He was comforting her, but he could comfort her because he knew that she didn't have to weep. By extension, it's no use you and I telling somebody who's mourning or unhappy, just, oh, cheer up. You understand? Unless you've got a good reason why they don't have to be unhappy. Sometimes people just need to weep to get that emotion out of them, it's, it's a way of us dealing with our emotions. But anyway, he says to her, don't weep. No need to weep. And then he takes action. Now, what happens next is very, very interesting. We see that it says there, he touched the open coffin. All right. He touched it. That word touched is a very fascinating word that we've come across many, many a time. I don't really like the translation touched. The Greek word is haptomai. 
It's the same word that was used when Yeshua touched the leper. It's the very same word when the woman with the issue of blood touched his garment. You see, touched gives the implication just brush past in the course of being there. And it's nothing of the sort. The word haptomai means to grab hold of, to affix to, to attach to, with a purpose. Another way of translating is to set on fire. You see, the Lord didn't just lightly touch the coffin. I believe he stood in front of it and he smacked it with his hand. He hit it with his hand. Now please note something. It's only when he did that, that those who were carrying the coffin stopped. Before that, they probably saw him as a troublemaker. Please get out of the way. We've got important business to do. But the Lord did not accept that. He stood in front of that coffin and smacked it with his hand. Stopped everybody. Then he does something very interesting something which is quite in character with the way he always, always operated. He spoke to the corpse, basically. But he didn't speak to the corpse as though the man was dead. He spoke to it as though he was very much alive. And he speaks these words, Young man, I say to you, arise. With the authority of God, when the words come, Arise. It doesn't matter what your condition is, you get up. And as one man did, he got up and walked. Right there in that split second. Let's just look at this widow. That was not even a minute ago. Devastated with grief. Weeping, shouting, wailing. Can you imagine the expression on her face? When your precious son sits up and begins to talk. Well, the Bible doesn't say what he said. But I can imagine nobody cared. This woman must have been totally and utterly overcome, overwhelmed with absolute joy unspeakable. Can you see that? Quite literally, her mourning in most likelihood turned into dancing because I don't think she could have contained her joy. She must have started to jump and spin around with absolute, absolute. If joy is too weak a word, there's no word to describe it. Joy unspeakable. The same joy you and I, by the way, should experience when we worship God, when we realize fully what he's done for us. Anyway, we have this wonderful, wonderful moment now let's just think about this whole scene and grasp the spiritual significance of it. Yes, the coffin bearers were going ahead on this procession, but who was really leading that sad procession out of the city? I believe it was the Prince of Darkness, or one of his henchmen. Big smile on his face. We've done it again, boys. Let's get these people out of here. We've sowed misery and unhappiness in the village. We've done a good job. And I can even imagine that that spirit leading the procession sort of began to urge everybody on because he realized what was coming. 
and knew that they were going to be in trouble. There was an urgency. But who was leading the other procession? The Lord of life, filled with the Spirit of Almighty God. Now, right here, you see, we've got to learn something as Christians. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light are always, always in confrontation. Now, you see, the devil has been very crafty. And what he's instilled, by and large, in the church is this mentality. Just be polite. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You see, what would the natural reaction be if you regarded the Lord just as a gentleman, the perfect gentleman? He's leading his team into this city, hoping to have a triumphant revival there like they've had everywhere else. And here comes this sad procession. The gentleman would have said, Stand aside, boys. Let them carry on. And uh, let's not cause any disruption. You see, being polite. Right there, the leader of the procession would have put a bigger smile on his face, as he has very often in the world, and said, You stupid Christians, I rule the roost. You see? But the Lord is sure you much better than that. And there's something we have to grasp here, you see. The kingdom of light is obliged by Almighty God not to stand idly by and let the devil take over. Oh no. Our responsibility is primarily to confront. But we have to confront in a particular way. First of all, you see, any confrontation of ours must be done in the spirit of compassion. We see the scene. We're not here to prove that we are more powerful. We're here to turn the morning into joy. That is the heartbeat of the kingdom of God. That's number one. Our job is to be kind. However, what we have to do is assess the situation, realize our authority, and confront. Notice, he confronted the coffin. He stopped it in its tracks. He wasn't happy to stand back and let it just happen. And here's the crux of the whole matter. Once he's confronted, he speaks. But note, what does he speak? You see, he speaks faith. He speaks faith and releases faith. And notice something. He speaks to the dead body as though it were alive. He doesn't say, oh, shame, poor man, isn't this terrible? No. And this is the key for you and I as children of God. Our responsibility in any situation is to speak the answer, not the problem. When we speak the answer with the authority of God, the answer will manifest. We see this pattern throughout Christ's life. You remember the little girl that was dead when he arrived, Jairus' daughter? 
Everybody is weeping and wailing, similar situation. On this occasion, he doesn't tell them not to weep. He tells them to get out, basically. And he declares, she is not dead, she's sleeping. They laughed him to scorn, of course, completely contrary to natural thinking. But lo and behold, takes the child, as we know by the hand, Talitha Kumi, little girl, arrives, she wakes up and the day is saved. Morning once again turned into unexpressible joy, you see. But he had to speak the right words. He had to. Brothers and sisters, when you and I are confronted with difficult situations, just think of this procession led by the devil coming out towards us. Does God want us to humbly, pseudo-humbly, so to speak, step back and let it happen? Under no circumstances. What we need to notice in the story, if we can remember, it all took place around the gates of the city. You see, that's what this whole thing is about. The kingdom of darkness, because of this devastation, had left behind a very unhappy community. That's what death does in a community, as we all know. But you see, Christ came, changed the situation around, and remember, why was he going towards the gates? Because he wanted to go to Nain and have a revival there. The Bible doesn't say what happened in the aftermath of this event, but I can assure you, once he got into the city of Nain, people were ready to listen. That I'm sure a great revival would have broken out. You see, the gates represent who is in control. Because gates are the point at which decisions are made about what is allowed in and what isn't. The Lord of life came barging in, in all his glory. Our responsibility is to confront. Confront with compassion, yes, but to confront nonetheless. And the way we confront is to take the necessary action and speak the required word. And the required word from God is not the word that people would expect. We are required to speak the answer. If you are facing a challenge with your business, for example, is it going to help? Wailing about the conditions in the country, complaining about this, complaining about that, Agreeing with what the enemy is doing, it might make us feel a bit better for a while, but it's not going to help. What do we have to speak? The answer. This business will succeed. My business is a success. When we're faced with sickness, oh, how easy it is to start to commiserate and share how much pain you and I are suffering from, etc. But that's not really going to help, even though, once again, we might feel soulishly a bit better off, burdening others with our condition. What is the right thing to say? By stripes, I was healed. I'm as healthy as can be. You see, when we do that, we're confronting what the enemy wants to do in our lives. 
The kingdom of light confronts the kingdom of darkness. And if we do it in faith, releasing faith, not just because we're speaking the right words, but because we really believe them, that situation will change. I've had a few experiences like this in my life. I want to share one here. Occasion when I went into intensive care, pediatrics intensive care, and there was a little boy batting, as I found out later, with a serious case of asthma. The family was gathered around, the grandmother, the parents, the brothers, sisters, I don't know, but there was quite a crowd. And I was busy doing my rounds of the ward. I asked if I could pray. They said, no, the situation is too critical. There were pipes all over the place for the sake of possible infection. would like you rather not to pray. So I said, that's fine. I noticed the doctor took the family into an adjacent room. I assumed he talked to them. No doubt what he said to them is, we've done all we can and we're not expecting a good outcome, preparing them for the worst. Anyway, I was continuing with my rounds. I came across a nurse sitting at a desk and she asked me, have you just come from, I can't remember his name, how is he doing? You see, assuming that I prayed and found out all the details, not realizing that I didn't really have a clue what was going on. But I said to her, without any hesitation, I said, everything's going to be fine. Do you know, the moment I spoke those words, I sensed a change, not only in her, because she seemed to be so relieved about this wonderful truth, but also in that whole world. I was able to gather the family together in the nurse's station there, and I prayed the prayer of faith for them. I looked the father straight in the eyes and I said, don't be afraid. Don't give in to fear. I prayed the prayer of faith. I said, this child is going to be fine. I also noticed the grandmother, I think she was, obviously a child of the living God, filled with the Holy Spirit, was babbling away in tongues. And I just knew that God was hearing her prayers. Anyway, I left that scene and I came around the next day. Lo and behold, there this little boy was, sitting up, very few pipes, very well. Thank you very much. Can you see? The scene replayed itself. A situation of doom and gloom. Along comes the kingdom of heaven, represented by little old me, little old you, not little and not old, bold and strong in Almighty God. Amen. We have the power to change situations. There's no greater joy than to turn a situation from a situation of mourning into a situation of dancing. And I trust that you and I will learn this valuable lesson so that the many widows of name, so to speak, that are out there do not have to live with the burden of tragedy but can have an encounter with the wonderful Lord of life. In Yeshua's mighty name. Amen.